Our gospel lesson is from the third chapter of Luke, uh, selected verses. Hear now God's words for you. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered them all by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him bodily in form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you, I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. It's the beginning of a new year. And while most of us are thinking about getting our W-2s and getting ready to file taxes and trying to remember to write 2013 on checks, although we don't write many checks anymore, those of us in the life of the church are thinking about something else besides all of that. We're trying to think about how to finish up the preparation for the ordination of new elders. Sometime in January, sometimes it's this Sunday, the baptism of the Lord. Sometimes it's the end of January, as it will be this year. We are going to bring men and women before you, some of whom have been elders before, some of whom have not, and they will be ordained in this service and then installed in the service which is to come. Part of what happens in ordination is always what we refer to as the laying on of hands. That's an old biblical concept. And what happens, of course, you remember when someone is ordained, is they kneel and the other elders gather around and lay hands upon them. That's a religious ritual that comes from deep in the Bible. In the Old Testament, it was used to bless animals before sacrifice. It was used to bless human beings. In the New Testament, it becomes this uh, symbol, but really more than a symbol, it becomes a method for evoking the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit as well as a blessing from God. Now, we think about laying on of hands primarily at ordinations, but we also do it at healing services. We do it when we commission people to go on mission trips. You've seen us do that here. We do it at times of confirmation, when young people come and are confirmed as full members of the church. All of those have laying on of hands. But today I'm thinking of the very first one. The first time somebody laid hands on you in a religious sense. Some of you remember. Some of you, or some of you, it happened when you were old enough to know. For lots of us, it didn't. It happened when we were way too young to be aware. And of course, you know what I'm talking about. The goodness gracious titles up there. It's baptism. Baptism is the first time that God's Spirit is evoked on us in this truly powerful religious sense. 
it really is not just God claiming us as His own. It's even more than from the Isaiah passage where we are named before God and claimed. It really is a baptism that not only claims us, but then expects that we will become a blessing and a servant for the folks who gather with us. Baptism is about mission. You can't think about it any other way. There is a deep sense in which it's not just our engrafting into Christ. It's not just forgiveness of sins. It's not just the gift of the Holy Spirit, though it's all of those things. It is a call for each of us to find our place within the community of faith and go to work. That's what it is. In baptism, you are commissioned to be active and engaged. It's sort of like ordination, or at least the precursor for ordination. The work and the function of the church is not just for preachers nor for elders. It's your task too. You've had hands laid on you by someone who God had called and who then laid hands on you and named you and called you and made you a part of the body of Christ. The real ministers of this congregation aren't Shane and myself. They're you. You are the ones. Now, is that surprising? Well, it shouldn't be. You've heard it before. Did you listen to the gospel lesson? Right after Jesus was baptized and that symbol of the Holy Spirit, the dove, descends and there's the voice from heaven that proclaims that He's the Son of God, it's right after that event that Jesus starts His active ministry. His preaching, teaching, healing, the signs that the kingdom which is coming is beginning to break out all around. Notice Jesus is not ordained as we traditionally think of ordination. There wasn't a priest anywhere in sight. There wasn't clergy. There wasn't the usual things. No, He is baptized. And that becomes the sign for active service. And you may say, yeah, well, that's right, but that was Jesus and I'm not Jesus. And my response to you is, no, you're not. No, you aren't. Neither am I. However, did you listen to the Christmas story from just a few weeks ago? Because it may shed a little light on this. When Mary is first told that she will bear a son... The angel says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and you will have a child. And Mary says, what? Let it be to me as God has said. Mary, in a very real sense, 30 years before Jesus is baptized, is the first person called in His name to serve she agrees with the Holy Spirit that she will do as God has requested. And the child hadn't even been conceived yet. What does it mean for us? Well, it means precisely the same thing that Jesus' baptism meant for Him. And I want to lift some of those things up for you. 
First of all, it means that all ministry is God's gift. It's not my idea. And it's not your idea. We don't have to think it up. All ministry that seeks to comfort, empower, teach, preach, or in any way spread the good news of the gospel, it comes from God. We don't have to invent it, create it, concoct it. It is already there. It awaits our discovery. It waits our allowing ourselves to let God work in us. Ministry is God's idea. And we're invited to participate. But the second thing is, ministry is not only God's gift to us, it is always through the empowering Spirit. And that's one of the things that baptism means. In baptism, the Spirit is made real in us. Even if you hadn't felt it yet. We are given this gift not just because it's a comfort and not just because it makes us feel good and that we're named and called by God and for God, but we also receive the Spirit that we might be empowered to fully participate in the ministry of Christ. The Holy Spirit is not just with believers to make us feel good. It's also to make us laborers, workers. And then there's a third thing I would lift for you. And it builds on the first two. Ministry is a gift of God through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And it's for every single baptized person. Regardless of age, regardless of ability, regardless of what you've done previously or not done previously. It is your ministry too. We really do mean it when we say that the ministers of this congregation are everybody. You've got a couple of pastors. We've got a bunch of ministers. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Everyone has been called. Boy, how easy it is to forget that. How easy it is to say, well, you know, Tom or Shane ought to be doing something about that. Boy, do I hear that a lot. There's a man named John Westerhoff. He has been teaching in seminary for probably 30 plus years. He spent a lot of time in Christian education and thinking about how to train pastors to do their jobs. And he says, if you are a pastor who is spending more than 15 hours a week volunteering outside the walls of the church, then you're probably wasting your time. Because your job is supposed to be to equip those inside the church for the demands of ministry. But then he turns around and he puts it on you. And he says, on the other hand, if you are a layperson or an elder... And you're spending more than 15 hours a week working inside the church? Then you're wasting your time. You're not supposed to be running errands for the pastors. You're supposed to be carrying out the ministry of Christ for the world. How about that? Another writer puts it this way, and he addresses just folks like me. 
he says, pastors, sit down and make a list of the ten most important things that the church has done in the last year. If you were heavily involved in all of those projects, then you're failing as a pastoral leader. Why? Because a pastor is supposed to be one who helps to give birth to the ministry of a laity, not do the work for you. I believe that. I hope you do. If the church is going to have success in its life and in its ministry, it's not enough to have your pastors and to have your elders and to have those folk who work on committees doing the work. It's got to be your work too. When was the last time you prayed for the work of your church? That's your work too. Some of you know that growing out of the small group studies from last year and a sermon series on prayer over last summer and then a church retreat this past fall, that a group was formed to begin a new visioning process for this church. And essentially a visioning process is just asking the question, where are we going to go next? Where are we going to focus ministry for the future? This is a very representative group from the church. And they've been looking at some very specific places where they think the church is called to do ministry over the next few years. It'll be going to the session soon. And after session has seen it and prayed over it and reviewed it, then eventually it will become in some form the work of the church. We've been very, very intentional about trying to let people know what we're doing. We don't want it to be a secret. We don't want it to come out when you finally know everything and say, oh, wow, nobody told me that. No, we want you to know. And not one single thing about it is controversial. Whoa! <laughs> The church isn't going to do something controversial. It's very core to who we say we are. We're talking about doing something important with children and families. And you say, we're already doing something with children and families. Yeah, we are. We're going to rethink it because we're going to do it better. Let me give you the data. Within three miles of this church, there are 700 single mothers with a child in the home. That's within three miles of this church. Within three miles of the church, there are a hundred single fathers who have a child at home. Eight hundred families. How many of those children and parents do you think are being met by the church? Not many. We're talking about being a place where folks who have been hurt or disillusioned by the church can find a home. Colonial House Presbyterian is particularly suited for that. We're made up of all kinds of people. We come from every facet of life. We really do. And our beliefs are very divergent. We're a place where we don't judge you. You're welcome to be here. 
And we think we've got a unique ministry with folks like that. Finally, this is the third one. We think we've got a place where we can bring in folks who are retiring and moving to this area and who want to be active and have things to do in their life that we can be a place for them. Any of that controversial? Does anybody say, oh, I don't want to do that? Somehow I don't think you do. And i got a suspicion that Session won't say so either. But I can tell you this. We are wasting our time unless every one of you, whether you're a member or whether you're somebody who attends on a regular basis, does not understand that it's your ministry too. If you're not behind it, it'll fail. And we spend all this time wasting our time. If you've not heard, at some point this year we will begin looking for a new director of children's ministry. Brittany has resigned due to some family considerations. She's pregnant again and not able to drive all the way from Virginia. We don't know who the new person's going to be. We know who the new interim's going to be. It's Gretchen, thank God. <laughs> we don't know who the next person's going to be. We don't know how long it's going to take us to find them. But I can tell you this, it doesn't matter how good they are, they will not be the magic bullet that slays all the dragons and make you have the best children's ministry there could ever be. If you're not behind it, if you're not volunteering, if you're not praying for it, doesn't matter who you hire. It will fail. Of course we want somebody who's the best we can get. Of course we do. And we'll do our best to find that person. But it won't happen if you're not involved. We say this. I've said it, I've said it here in the pulpit before. You know how people come to the life of the church? 85%. 85%. It's a statistical absolute. Come because one of you invited them to come. And then when they got here, they found a place where people were friendly enough to make them stay and they heard a message that they thought was powerful enough to attract them to come back and they wanted to be a part. Shane and I can't do that your job. If you're not doing it, it won't happen. When was the last time we invited somebody? When was the last time we knew somebody who was having a hard time in their life and we said, you know, I go to this church over here and it means something to me. It might mean something to you. Would you go with me on Sunday? When's the last time we did that? If I say it, they'll say, well, that's just your job. If you say it, it's because you care. Isn't that funny? That's a part of the reason you're here today. See, I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit's called you. Even if when you walked in the door, you didn't know you'd been called. Now you do. <laughs> You've heard the call of God through my voice, maybe, Maybe you heard it long before, and this is just the thing that really got you to think about it more. 
But that's why we're here. We have been called as baptized people to put our faith into action. Church wants to make something new happen, something important happen in our lives. The Holy Spirit has laid hands on you. So go out and minister. We not only want you to, we bless you in it. Take part. Be a part. I can tell you this. If this is truly in our hearts and on our minds and in our prayers, it will not fail. If it is of God, it will bear great fruit. You are the baptized. And I invite you to stand up. Go ahead, stand up. Because it's the baptism of the Lord, we are going to remember together our own baptism with the creed of baptism, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day He arose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.